Proverbs 4, verse 1 through 12 reads, Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding, for I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place you on your head. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Hear my son and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will will not be hindered, and when you run, you will not stumble. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. Once again, I echo the uh, welcome that's already been made, that if you are visiting with us, we want you to know you're an honored guest. Hope that you'll stay around for a few minutes after our services are over so we can get a chance to get to know you. But uh, if you have any questions, if there's anything that we can um, clarify as far as the way and the reason why we conduct our services the way that we do, we would love to be able to open up the Bible with you uh, to give you a Bible answer for the reason for the hope that's within us, but also our adherence to the authority of Jesus Christ and just wanting to be Christians, not Church of Christ Christians, not any other kind of Christians, just Christians, first and foremost and only. And we're glad that you're with us this morning and hope that the uh, services that you found are edifying, uh, able to build you up and encourage you the way that, uh, that God wants us to be. I do want to mention that uh, our brother Logan Summers was wed yesterday. Um, yesterday morning, uh, he and Lacey became man and wife. They are off on their honeymoon, should be back with us uh, the following Sunday. And I hope you will keep them in mind and keep them in your prayers this week as they begin their, uh, their life together. We are super excited to have Logan and his other half, his better half as some might say, uh, here with us at Graver Road. And be sure and make them both feel welcome, especially as uh, uh, Lacey is moving away from her phone, uh, family as well as uh, God's plan is and uh, joining with us in the work here at Graver Road. But we are excited, super excited to have them both um, here and looking forward to the great things that the Lord is going to accomplish uh, in us and through us. We're talking about the way of wisdom this morning. And I want to talk, start off by saying this. We know what the Bible explicitly says a lot of times. All right? If I were to go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 and talk about uh, God condemning greed... We know that God that doesn't is not approved of a greedy heart. But did you ever wonder why the Bible doesn't specifically draw a line to say this is where greed starts versus just a desire to have something? Jesus would talk about lust. And if a man looks at a woman to lust after her, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, and we know that lust is wrong. We know that the desire to have something that's not ours is, is wrong. But did you ever ask the question, when does it become lust versus just looking? When does looking become lusting? We know in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 25, forsaking the assembly is a sin. 
We know that God commands us to be present every Lord's Day, but did you ever ask the question, did you ever wonder, why does the Bible not say, all right, after you've missed three Sundays, that's when you begin to start missing and forsaking the assembly? Why does the Bible not draw a very hard line with regard to when missing becomes forsaking? You see, we ask the question, and we ask the question for a purpose. I don't want you to think that this study this morning is purely academic. You see, it's not about me standing up here and saying, all right, let's take each one of these issues and let's discuss these things. You know, the the issue of Christian modesty has been discussed for years, about how short is too short, when do shorts become sinful, How, how far above the knee does it have to be in order for it to become immodest. And people have struggled with these things because the way that somebody may draw the line is different than somebody else in the way they may draw the line. And what I want to import to you and what I want you to think about is the answer to all these questions have to do with whether or not we are on the path to wisdom. You see, what, uh, what, what was read just for a few moments ago, what Alan read to us just a few moments ago, was Solomon appealing to his son and saying, son, I want you to get on the path of wisdom. I want you to take wisdom and I want you to make her your own because she's going to bless your life in ways that you can't possibly comprehend. She's going to be something that's going to make your life something beautiful and something ornamental, something that God is wholly pleased with. Instead of asking a question, well, I know God commands me to give, but how much does God want me to give? I know God commands me to assemble with the saints, but how much do I need to assemble with the saints in order not to make God mad or in order to fulfill my requirement? Because we have a tendency to think a lot of those respects, don't we? There's two dangers that I see if we begin to try and draw lines with regard to some of these things and not answer the question based upon the way of wisdom. All of this is just introduction. I want you to understand But there's two dangers that we come to if we want to try and strictly draw a line where God hasn't really drawn a line. What's the difference between uh, greed and just desiring? What's the difference between lust and just looking? What's the difference between forsaking and just missing? There's two dangers. Number one, the danger is we draw the line so narrow that we begin to become legalistic with what God has allowed for liberty. In Matthew chapter 15, you remember that the Pharisees came to Jesus, and they asked his his disciples, they asked Jesus, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of our fathers by not washing their hands before they eat? You know, in that same book, in the book of Matthew, there was another occasion where Jesus and his disciples were walking through the grain fields, and they were plucking the grain, and they were rolling them in their hands. You know what the Jews had done? They had taken that commandment and said, nope, that's the Sabbath, that is work. What you're doing with your hands and rubbing the, uh, the husk of the grain to try and get the shell out of it so that you can eat, that's too much work. They'd drawn the line and they'd become legalistic with what God had allowed as far as liberty goes with regard to a day of rest, a blessing for the Jews. And what they'd done is they'd placed a burden upon the people of God so much so the people of God were almost scared to move on the Sabbath because they didn't want to violate the traditions of what the Pharisees and the lines that they had drawn with regard to that. That's one danger on one extreme of drawing a line where God hasn't drawn a line. The other danger is going so far and saying, you know what, the lines really don't matter. What God looks at is just the life, and and I know that that, uh, there's things like fornication, and I know that there's things like uncleanness, but God's not really concerned about that, just as long as your heart belongs to him. There's really no lines. Paul deals with that definitively in Romans chapter 6. Where he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin 
Paul says you can define what sin is. You can look and say, this is a sinful action. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He would say, God forbid, in the old King James. Certainly not. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? What Paul designates is that there's a way that we live that's in accordance with sin, but then there's also a ways that we live that we present our members as righteousness to God, what he would say further on in the context of Romans chapter 6. The way of wisdom holds the key. It's not about drawing strict lines and saying, if we're over this line, that's it, we're out. Or if we're too, too far on this side, that's it, we're out. But it's about looking at the word of God and saying what accords with the way God wants me to live best. And here's the thing. Sometimes that's hard for us to discern if we're not thinking with the eyes of wisdom. One man put it like this. I want you to imagine with me and my feet this morning, my feet are directed towards a path. Somewhere down the way, if I follow this path that my feet are on, I'm going to end up at a particular destination. And as I'm looking down the path and seeing where my feet are aimed, what I'm looking at is the place where I'm going to end up. That's wisdom. What happens if I take my feet and I just move them just that much? Now my course is different. I've got this path that's going this way, but then I've got a path that's just going slightly different. And what I can do is, for a while, I can hop easily back and forth between those two paths. And I might even cross from one to the other and cross from one to the other and cross from one to the other because I see that they're not terribly different. What's one inch? What's one more Sunday? What's one more look? What's one more of those things? When in reality, because I have moved my feet away from what we call the path of wisdom and I have aimed my course and my trajectory differently Those two places and those two destinations are vastly different. You know, pilots, I'm not a pilot. I don't think I'll ever be a pilot with my eyes. I don't really ever want to be a pilot. I like my time in airplanes, but I like my time getting off of airplanes. I'm told pilots have something called the uh, 1 in 60 rule. Okay, I think I got that right, the 1 in 60 rule. That is, for every one degree a pilot is off on their radar, for every one degree that the pilot is off on their course, as they travel 60 miles on that course, they are now one mile different than the destination they want to be in. Just one degree. Just one degree different, and they're going to end up in a vastly different place if they travel 60 miles and then 60 more miles and 60 more miles, because you understand the principle. One degree makes a difference. One degree is significant. And what we want to ask this morning is, are my feet directed towards God? Are my feet directed on the way of wisdom? And if so, then what's going to happen is, all of those questions that I begin to ask, when does lust become, or when does looking become lust, and when does missing become forsaking, and when does uh, does this become that, are then answered in an easier context, because we're defining it based upon God and orienting ourselves around the destination that I want to be with God at the end of my life. As we look with the eyes of wisdom this morning, if we could see the end result rather than the tempting part, sometimes I believe sin would be so much easier to resist. But as we look and we wonder on which path we're walking, what I want to do is look at three questions this morning and three questions this evening to ask about us walking on the path of wisdom. We went to 
Stephen F. Austin State Park this weekend for a, uh, a camp out, a retreat with, um, with some of the American Heritage girls. And I know I'm not an American Heritage girl, but I'm part of their families. And that's, that, it was a family camp out. I guess I should have started with that. Took some little boys with me while the girls were off doing their thing and learning their badge work. And these little boys, including my own son, began to walk down these paths and walk down these hiking trails. And you know what you have every so often on the hiking trails? These little signs, these little markers that tell you this is the trail you're on, this is the direction that you're heading, and this is how far the trail is going to be. And there are several false paths off of these trails, maybe trails that uh, wildlife, game trails that uh, wildlife are taking. Maybe there's sometimes that people just divert and make their own path over to another trail. Uh, I don't know what those things are. But it would come time that we would uh, go down this path a little ways and we would look and see that there's a pretty clear path that's down this way. You know what kept us on that path that we were on? These signs, these markers. And as we look at our feet in the direction that we're aimed, what I want you to think about is, are we looking at these signs that God has placed in our lives through his wisdom to realize that we're on the right path or we need to get off the path that we're on? Here's sign number one, trail marker number one. Can I do what I'm doing in the name of the Lord? Can I do what I'm doing? Can I think what I'm thinking? Can I say what I'm saying in the name of the Lord? Two scriptures to think about with regard to this. Number one, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. Whatever you do in word, that's action, or sorry, that's speaking. Whatever you do in word, whatever you say, or in deed, that's in action. The whole of my life consists of what I say and what I do. Paul says, whatever you say, whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That phrase, and there in the middle of that, in the name of the Lord Jesus, is very significant. It's very important. For those of you that are joining us in our study of the book of Acts, you remember that one of the phrases that we're charting through the book of Acts is the things that they did in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know what that denotes? That denotes his authority. That denotes that I have the power of Jesus behind what I'm saying and behind what, what I'm doing. And Paul says you don't need to have the authority and the, uh, the, the, um, the, the miraculous power of the apostles to be able to do what you do in the authority of Jesus. Second scripture that I want you to think about with regard to this is Romans 14 and verse 23. In talking about doubtful matters and talking about matters of opinion or matters of judgment... Paul would say, but uh, he who eats or is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. And notice this principle at the very end. From whatever is not of faith is sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, what I know that Jesus is pleased with. But also do what I do with the understanding that if I'm not doing something based upon what I know the word of God says and upon that being right, I know that that's sin. Imagine you have Jesus following you, walking next to you bodily every single day. And as you sit down in the morning for breakfast, you ask the question, can I do what I'm doing with Jesus' approval? Jesus, do I have your approval for what I'm doing? If Jesus were right here next to us this morning, could we say, Lord, I'm doing this with your permission, and am I doing this with your blessing? Am I able to drink 
what I drink in Jesus' name with his authority? Am I able to eat what I eat in Jesus' name? Am I able to look at what I'm looking at in Jesus' name? Am I able to touch what I'm touching in Jesus' name? Am I able to go where I'm going with Jesus' love and with his approval for my life? There was an old book that was written years ago that led to wristband fad of the 80s and 90s, where I don't know if you remember, the people that wore those wristbands, WWJD, what would Jesus do? I don't know if they still have those around, but I remember them being popular whenever I was in high school. And what was interesting was that a lot of the people that were wearing those bracelets, I would look at their life and look at the things that they were choosing and looking at the things that they were doing and going, I don't think Jesus would do that. I don't think Jesus would be talking like that. I don't think that Jesus would be, uh, be behaving like that. What those people did was they bought into the fad without buying into the wisdom of asking, what indeed would Jesus be pleased with? What indeed would Jesus be pleased with? with what's coming out of my mouth or with the way that I'm conducting myself or the way that I'm living my life? We don't ask the question, can I do what I do with Jesus' blessing? If I don't have, from Romans 14, verse 23, an absolute conviction of faith that it's right, you know what the best course of action is? Stop and realize I am not on the right path. If it is not from faith, it is sin. That's a good place to start. But I want you to understand, this is not the only question that we need to be asking this is one of the questions that's on the right trail, but this is not the only question that's on the right trail. Question number two, am I pursuing a course that leads me to the flesh or a course that leads me to the spirit? Am I on a course that's following after the flesh or am I on a course that's following after the Holy Spirit? Turn in your Bibles, please, to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to look at chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. Notice how many times, and you can almost take a red highlighter for the phrases that are, if you like, bad, and a green highlighter for the phrases that are good. The way that God wants us to behave versus the way that we behave based upon following after the flesh. And if we do that, you find that the context of Galatians chapter 5 just pops out at us based upon where are your feet? Are you on the course of wisdom? Verse 16, I say then, walk in the spirit. That's green highlighter. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lust against the spirit, red highlighter, and the spirit against the flesh, green highlighter. And these are contrary to one another so that you don't do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, green highlighter, you are not under the law, red highlighter. Now the works of the flesh are evident. This is going to highlight all the way down through verse 21. These are the works of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, green highlighter, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ, still green highlighter, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Last one, red highlighter. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. What Galatians shows is a lifestyle that's trying to justify based upon just outward circumstances. That's what he's dealing with all the way through Galatians. Here's some Judaizing teachers that are teaching some Gentile Christians, you've got to be circumcised in order to be Christ's. You've got to have this outward mark in order to make sure that you're right with God. And Paul's saying, no, 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 a thousand times no, you just need Jesus You need to hold on to him because what happens is if I try and hold on to this outward sign, this outward uh, seal of uh, of being right with God, I'm going to define my life based upon every single one of those. I attend church, check. I take the Lord's Supper, check. I don't swear, check. And we establish our own self-righteousness based upon those things that that we're holding on to. God says no. He says what you're doing is you're considering your lifestyle. Am I following after the things that God is pleased with? And as you walk down your path, we assess our words and our deeds. Do they correspond and do they follow the lead of the flesh or the lead of the spirit? Young people, your conduct with a boyfriend or girlfriend, is it more in line with what he mentioned there in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, lust of the flesh, works of the flesh, Or is it more in line with what we find there in the fruit of the Spirit? Do my words more correspond with what he mentions there in verses 19 through 21, the lust of the flesh, because he says, and the likes, the works of the flesh? Or do I find that my words are full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? How do my words fit whenever I measure them and say, all right, here they are. Do they look more like this or do they look more like this? You see, I used to think that looking at a passage like Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 23 was a matter of checking off the boxes. Okay, well, I haven't done that, haven't done that, haven't done that, haven't done that. Eh, I kind of do that just a little bit. I do this a little bit. All right, now let's look at the fruit of the Spirit. All right, haven't done that. Well, I got love, I got joy, peace, patience. Okay, I'm good. It's not that. It's about a standard, a diagnostic tool. A diagnostic tool. You have what's called the idiot light on your car. I don't know if you know that, right? It usually, uh, it usually is just a picture of your engine. And I looked at it one time. I was like, what in the world? Is that a map of Ohio or what am I looking at here? Until I found out it was the idiot light. It was made for people like me. And what the idea is is that you go in and you have uh, AutoZone or wherever place that thing in your car so they can read the codes and understand what's going on. It's a diagnostic tool. Galatians 5, 19 through 23 is a diagnostic tool to say, where is my life? Is it more in line with this over here or is it more in line with this over here? Because that's going to be evidence of what I'm following. Take any activity. Take any activity. Alcohol. A lot of Christians want to say it's okay for a Christian to drink. It's okay for a Christian to take and to drink uh, alcoholic beverages. And we take alcohol and we put it right here and we say, where does it fall? What does it do? Is it more in line with lust of the flesh or fruit of the spirit? Has anybody ever become truly more loving, more godly because they've had alcohol in the presence of it in their life? Christians, I ask you this to answer honestly. 
Can I say I'm a more spiritual person based upon the fact that I have this beverage in my life that I've refused to get rid of? Can you say that that's truly on the path of wisdom? I don't think you can. How are we going to behave? How are we going to get our, get our minds wrapped around the fact that one degree off? Can I look with my life and say, the parties that I desire to go to are the parties that I desire to go to and the people that I desire to be around and make my friends and make my family members, are they following more in line with Galatians 5, 19 through 21 or Galatians 5, 22 and 23? Folks, we've got to answer the question, what's the way of wisdom? With my practice, where does my activity fall? And if we never, ever look and never, ever ask this question about our words or about our deeds, we are, in the words of the Bible, foolish. We're foolish. If we never look at the work and say it falls squarely here, then we have ignored this signpost and we are in danger of being on the wrong path. Am I pursuing a course of the flesh or a course of the spirit? I got the scripture here. It was just the one we read just a minute ago, Galatians 5, 16 through 21. Third question this morning, am I providing for the lust of the flesh? Am I providing for the lust of the flesh? Romans 13, verses 12 through 14. This is the conclusion of Romans chapter 13 on a path, on a, uh, on a um, understanding that Romans 13 begins with obedience to civil authorities, Obedience to our government, even when they make laws that we don't necessarily like. There's a responsibility to Christians to submit ourselves to the governing authorities, and that's all what uh, First Corinthians, or sorry, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7 is about. But notice how this chapter ends. Notice what he's going to say here at the very end of this. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, cast off the works of darkness. Hold on just a second. Could we not put, paint this in the uh, picture of what we just read from Galatians 5? 19 through 21, that'd be a great cross-reference to write out there. Let us cast off the work of darkness and let's put on the armor of light. Let's walk properly, green highlighter, as in the day, not in. Here's a couple of those things we read just a moment ago in Romans, uh, Galatians chapter 5. Not in lewdness, or sorry, not in revelry and drunkenness, not as lewdness and lust, not in strife and in envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh. Make no provisions for the flesh. I remember watching a movie years ago. It was about a a group of prisoners who were incarcerated for life, of course. And as they're going through the day-to-day of the prison activities, they sat down for a meal and a man found a little grub in his food. Again, I understand that prison food is not the best, but I hope that they do a little bit better than putting the grubs in the food. And a man pulled out the grub and he's looking at it and a friend across the table says, can I have that? Okay, so he hands the grub across the table. The man takes the grub and he feeds this little bird that's sitting right here. You know what he had done in his pocket? He had made a provision for that bird, a safe place where that bird can dwell, even though it's probably against the rules for him to have that bird. Here's the picture of the Christian life. Here's who a Christian ought to be. And what I'm going to do is take those little bitty sins that... Don't see like a big deal. Little bitty things that I feel like are not a big deal, and, and I want to place a pocket. I want to make a place for those things because I don't want to give them up. I don't want to sacrifice those things to anything 
I'm going to make a place, a provision. That's the word here for make no provision for the flesh. You know, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Could we not possibly say, if we're looking about people, God's people walking in wisdom, that God's people are light? In him ought not to be any darkness at all. But what happens is, is sometimes we say, these are things that I'm unwilling to give up. These are things that I'm going to hold on to because I feel like I need them. They're things that I'm not willing to turn over to the Lord, even though I know they're wrong. I'm going to hold on to those things because I feel like I need them. These lustly, lustful worldly things that I feel like I can't live without are evidence, are evidence of me being off on the path of wisdom. What is it that you're holding on to so dearly? What fleshly, lustful activity, what thing do you feel like you need in your life that you know God is not pleased with? You know it violates question number one because you can't do it with Jesus' blessing. What thing am I holding on to that I say, I'm not going to give this up for anything? Sounds a whole lot like the rich young ruler. Came to Jesus, said, I've kept all these other commandments. What more do I lack? And Jesus says, you like one thing. Go sell what you have. Go give to the poor. Come follow me and you'll have treasures in heaven. The man went away sorrowful. Why? Because he was unwilling to give up the very thing that was keeping from a right relationship with God. Christians, we don't ask enough questions about, is what I'm doing going to be pleasing to the Lord? Am I following after a course of the flesh, or am I following after a course of the Spirit? But then we ask ourselves a question, am I providing a pocket for my lust? Am I providing a pocket for my sin? Am I providing a space where I'm hoping that God's not going to judge me based upon that? I hope God's not going to see those things. I hope God's people are never going to know about those things. And yet, in our Bible classes last week, we talked about Ananias and Sapphira. And the fact that God sees all and God is more concerned with what's going on in the heart and concerned that from the heart proceeds the right things. But Ananias and Sapphira decided to do that and it ended poorly for them. It's going to end poorly for us. That's the way of wisdom. And you know what the sad part is? Just like what we mentioned just a moment ago, we're going to do three more tonight because there's not just three guideposts on the way to wisdom. But you know what the hard part is? Just as much as we get to a point where we're jumping back and forth between these one degrees, between these lines that we see and say, oh, it's not a big deal. Problem is, is that we spend so much time on those paths and thinking it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. I can go back to wisdom at any time. You realize there's not ever a time that we can't go back. But there is a time where the consequences for going back and making changes are far greater than the actual going back. Jesus said, man looks at a woman to lust after her, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he says, therefore I say to you, if your right hand causes you to sin, what did he say? Cut it off. Cast it from you. How many of us are willing to do that? You get down to a point where your hand has caused you to sin so many times and you're down this path so far that you can't see the other path anymore because that one in 60 rule is true. You're, you're way off course. And because I have never given thought to those things, what happens is I get down to the end of the course and Jesus says the way that you get back, you got to pluck out your eye. I don't know that I'm willing to do that, Jesus. 
I don't know that I'm willing to, to cut off my hand or pluck out my eye, even if it's going to save me from an eternity in hell. Jesus, I don't think I, I have the will and the resolve to do that. You know what? That's a result of walking down a path that's not the path of wisdom. What God wants of each one of us is so that we can be wise in our con- conduct. And if we're wise in our conduct and saying, well, how does Jesus want me to dress? How does Jesus want me to cover this body that he's given me? You know what? A lot of the questions of modesty are going to go away based upon that. If I just start off on that. If I then ask the question, am I following after the lust of the flesh? Am I following after what everybody else is wearing and what all of society says is okay? And if I'm just following after this, then that's the second reason. That's the second way I can tell if I'm on the right path or not. But the third thing is, is in examining my heart and examining what's on the inside of me and what I'm really holding on to that I refuse to give over to God. The habits, the thoughts, the motives, the intents, those words, those things, those patterns of speech or patterns of behavior. And I hold on to those things and say, nope, God, that's a third red flag. Then I need to get back on the path of wisdom. God has given us his word so that we can, like Solomon's son, be wise. God wants us to be wise and be people who walk the path of wisdom without deviation every single day. But Christians, we're fooling ourselves. We're foolish if we think we can continue down a course of action with no repercussions at all. Either repercussions for us ourselves or as in the case of alcohol. You may be a person that says, oh, no, I can handle it. I can handle it. I can uh, drink and not get drunk. Here's four people that are following you that can't. Here's four people that you've just influenced and looked at in your life that see you following after something that's squarely in the line of the lust of the flesh. And those are people that you have to answer for because they followed your example. Christians were foolish. God says, I want you to be wise. We're going to deal with three more of those signposts this evening on the path of wisdom. I hope that you'll be present What would the wise thing do? What would Jesus be pleased with? What would you pursue that would be in line with the course of the flesh, the works of the flesh, or the fruit of the Spirit attending tonight? What about making a provision for a flesh? Well, here's a ball game, God, that I don't want to miss. Where am I? Where are my feet? Where's my destination? What God wants us to do is be wise with the first step we take and also the last step we take. And with the first step we take, that may be for you obedience to the gospel message. Being wise is looking and saying, I see that I am here on this earth and I am here on this earth for a temporary time period. I'm not here permanently. And I know that one day this soul that's in this body is going to separate from this body. And I know that soul is going to go and it's going to spend eternity somewhere. It's going to spend eternity in one of two destinations, green highlighter, red highlighter. It's going to spend eternity in in heaven with God. Or it's going to spend eternity in hell with those that have rejected God. Those who have, well, hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. God didn't necessarily prepare hell for you and me. But if we reject him, that's the only other place that we're going to go. As God looks at us and he says, are you behaving with wisdom or foolishness? If I hear the gospel message that Jesus died on the cross for me so that I can have the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance that I have waiting for me, 
And the only way that I can stand right before God on the day of judgment, after I die, there is no more chances. There's no more walking the path of wisdom. Whatever happens after we die, we're going to have to stand before God and give an account for how we've lived our life, wise or foolish. But Jesus Christ is God's wisdom. Jesus Christ is God's grace. Jesus Christ is God's provision so that you can, even when you make mistakes, even when you commit sins that are in a violation of God and his nature, God still looks at you and says, that's somebody that's covered by the blood of Jesus. Again, not to be abused, Romans chapter 6, not to be taken advantage of, but to realize that that blessing is there for you and me. That's the only way on the path of wisdom. Maybe you need to obey the gospel this morning to confess the name of Jesus and say, I want him to be my savior, but I recognize that he's got to be my master. And repenting of your sins, of turning away for those things and the, the path of wisdom, or path of path of foolishness. The path that may look like it's wise, but I realize that what God says is wisdom is something completely different. And realizing I'm going to walk after him every single day as his disciple. I can. After I believe, after I repent, after I confess, be immersed into water. And that's where human faith meets divine grace. Where the Bible says your sins are washed away. And we come up out of the water, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, a new creation. Something new, something amazing has happened. I'm not the person I used to be. I can be changed. I can be converted. And every day I ply my feet to saying, where does God want me to walk? How does God want me to walk in wisdom? And I follow after that, recognizing I'm covered by his grace. Maybe there's a Christian here this morning who hasn't been living in the grace of God, who has been holding on to things or pursuing a course of life that's not wise, but in fact is foolish and is going to cause the destruction of your soul. Christian, repent. Change your mind, change your heart. We are here for you. There is no sin so shameful that you cannot bring it to your Christian family. There's no sin so shameful that should keep you away from God and recognizing that he sees it. He knows who you are. And in confession and speaking the same thing as he already knows, he's ready to forgive you. He's ready to change your life. He's ready to, to put you back on right where you need to be. Do you need that this morning? If so, why don't you make it known as we stand and sing our invitation song?